Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, the title of my message today, this is our God, we're in the series, is titled, uh, the title is The Rich Man with the Bankrupt Soul. The Rich Man with the Bankrupt Soul. Woo, that's an intense title. Can we agree with that? Might be my most intense and artistic title I've ever had. Pretty proud of it. God gave it to me. Okay. Uh, let's start with the word. Get your Bibles. John 10, 10. Read out the NLT for this one. Very quick. I'm going to pray. The thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. But I love God tells us his purpose. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Stop. When I read that verse as a young Christian, that Jesus came to give me an abundant life, sewer abundant, to, to give me a fulfilling life, a, a rich and satisfying life, the first thing I thought about was being married. First thing I thought about after that was getting a house. And then after that was a career. And after that was a little, I wanted a bulldog for the longest time. Anybody got a bulldog? That dream died. I found out they're very expensive with the medical bills and such. Uh, plus, I'm really allergic to dogs. That's another one. Um, so that dream died quickly. Um, but the reality is, is that when God makes that statement that he came to give you a rich and satisfying life, if you receive that through the lens of the American dream, you have missed it completely. You'll be rich in all the wrong areas, and your soul will be just as bankrupt as the man I'm going to talk about today, Naaman. My prayer today is, as I pray, is that you would be willing to take a hard look in the mirror and say, God, am I chasing after the right things? Am I living the life you called me to live? And I, I want to be rich, God, but am I chasing the right riches? Because the reality is, is that, you know what, I want to pray first because I got a lot to share today. Um, it's going to be a good one, I promise. I feel like God's got a great message. His word is so powerful. You bow your heads, I'm going to pray. God, uh, I come against stale Christianity. God, apathetic Christianity, the things of God. God, I pray that you would wake some of us up today. Wake us up to the opportunity, what it means to live for the one that created us. Oh, God, wake us up to real riches. Oh, the world has done such a good job of tricking us and, and even lulling us to sleep to, to chase after the wrong things. Would you wake us up today, God? Yeah. God, we don't want to play church. God, I want to have an experience and an encounter with the living God today. I pray that I would get out of the way. God, that your words would soar and my words would fall to the floor. God, we want you. We want you. And everybody said? Amen. When I was a young youth pastor, I got a pastor in different areas. Got a pastor in Tumwater, Washington. Tum, Tumwater, Washington. The reason why it was called Tum Tum Water is actually an Indian tribe called Tum Tum Water. <clears throat> Man, my voice is all over the place today. Give me a second. <clears throat> can I actually do a cough drop and preach? We're going to see if I can do it. <laughs> Allergies give me a dry throat sometimes, so I got a dry throat. I apologize. Um, when I was a young youth pastor in L.A., pastored in Van Nuys, California, a very poor area. The high school in our area uh, um, was so bad that uh, the bottom percent of high schools, they would either fire all the uh, fire or remove all the teaching staff or remove all the administrative staff because they thought it was their fault. And so they were always trying to fix this high school I was next to. And so because we were next to this really poor area and this um, area that really needed just practical needs, poverty was very obvious. Um, poverty was this thing where people didn't have food to eat. They didn't have a place to live. They didn't have a parent. And so what we decided to do was not only have a youth service on Wednesday nights and Friday nights and Sunday mornings. Yes, I did three, three weeks of youth services. And then a young adult service on Sunday nights also. I preached five times a week. I'm not trying to brag, but uh, just working hard for Jesus. And so I decided to add a sixth service at this time. I was single. It's the only way I could do it. Um, 
and so we decided to add a Wednesday youth service at 2.30 p.m. We were going to give away free hot dogs, free sodas, and chips to the kids getting out of school because we knew they didn't have a lot of food and we knew they didn't uh, have anything to eat. And so you think a few kids would come to this. Free hot dogs. We open it up. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids line up for a hot dog and some chips. And me and my junior high pastor look at each other and say, revival. Who would have known all you needed was a hot dog for some revival? (laughs) They have now gathered to hear your word, God. Hot dog and chips. And so after the hot dog and chips, we'd say, hey, everybody in the gym, in the gym, we want to tell you something, you know, and the kids would be like, no, I'm good. No, no, in the gym, we're going to have more, we don't have more free stuff. Just get in the gym, you know. So half the kids would get in the gym and then one of us would uh, go on to share the gospel message with the kids. And so you'd get free food, and then we'd want to share the gospel with you. Did that for a few years and saw a few kids get saved. And uh, as a young youth pastor, I looked at poverty in a very simple way. People who have money and people who don't have money. But what I realized as I started pastoring adults is that poverty comes in different shapes and forms. Wow. Yeah, that poverty is not just a money thing. Poverty can be an emotion thing. Yeah. That you can be rich in material goods but poor in thankfulness. And when you're poor in thankfulness, who cares about what you got? You'll never be thankful for it. You can be rich in a career and money, but bankrupt in your marriage. You can be rich in so many things in the world, but be poor in your soul. And so my my thought today I'd love to share with you is I would love for us to ask some big questions today. Big. Everybody go big. big. Okay, good. Big questions. It's interesting what the Bible says about wealth. It says that wealth is deceitful in, in the New Testament. And what it means by deceitful is that wealth will promise you everything that only God can give you. Wealth will promise you fulfillment. Wealth will uh, promise you security. Wealth will try to promise you everything that only God can give you. Other thing about the New Testament says about wealth is that wealth, not any other religion, but money, the spirit of money would be the greatest competitor against the kingdom of God. All the other religions, that's not what's competing against the gospel of Jesus. The number one thing competing against Jesus is a dollar bill. Is the promise of what money can do. The spirit of man is what it's called. Money. Another thing it says about wealth is it will choke the seed of the kingdom. It will not allow the kingdom to birth. A.K.A. the way that the Greek word choke the seed uh, in Mark 4, what it means is that it would take a believer, money would, And money would wrap its right bicep around your spiritual neck and just say, go to sleep, go to sleep, and asleep you go. It says wealth will lull you to sleep to the promises of the kingdom, the fulfillment of the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom, receiving the kingdom. Wealth will wrap itself around you and put you to sleep. That's what the Bible says about wealth. It says basically going to try to choke you out. Also says that wealth will make you arrogant. It says make you haughty. It says that wealth will make you, I could use another word, self-sufficient. I don't need God. I've got my wealth. I've got this. I don't need God. Now, you need to know something about money. Money is amoral. It's not evil. It's not evil. But the spirit in which you steward it can be evil. The posture in which you desire it can be evil and can destroy you. And so the Bible will attack it because it knows that the one thing that you get in your lap besides the kingdom, that you'll take your gaze to is your bank account and all the things that you want in it. I heard a pastor share a story. Uh, it's another thing uh, wealth will do, just to give you a heads up. Wealth will make you very superficial, make you chase after shallow things and ask shallow things. And I heard a pastor uh, share a story 
uh, one time about um, this pastor in London that went to go speak at two uh, boarding schools. Uh, both boarding schools had affluent kids in it. And the first one he came and these kids did not want to hear from this uh, pastor, did not want to hear from him. They were like flipping to it. At the very end, he did a Q&A and they really were just making just funny questions at the very end. Uh, did Cain have a wife? You know, and he would do his best to answer it. And that same day, he went to another school. These kids were also uh, from affluent families, but these kids had disabilities like cerebral palsy, things that literally would impact their life for the rest of their life. And he came there and preached and the room was just different. And at the end of his time with these kids, they had a Q&A also. And the Q&A was not superficial. The Q&A was things like this. Why am I alive? Why would God allow something like this to happen? Because the reality is, is that when you're rich, it causes you to ask poor questions. But when you have poverty in your life, it will cause you to ask rich questions. It will start to have you ask the real questions in your life. Because if I could just read you a C.S. Lewis a quote from uh, Grief, when he lost his wife, he literally, it shook his faith. And he said this in a, one of his books uh, called The Grief Observed. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and as sound as long as you are merely using it to a cord on a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice, a.k.a. use that rope to hang for your life. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? And the reality is, is that in this room right now, we live in the most wealthy region in all the world. Think about that for a second. The most, the most wealth. Now, our nation, of course, is the most wealthiest nation, 4% of the population, 25% of the wealth. We're very wealthy. And so... This story I'm about to share about Naaman, I think a lot of us can relate to because in this culture, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we'll be kind of hovering around Elisha's story uh, and what he does. But I think we can relate to this way more than I think you would um, give it credit for. When you open 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you're opening up the Bible to about 1000 BC to 1400 BC. Uh, it's a polytheistic society, AKA there's a lot of gods, that one God, monotheism is, uh, uh, would be that. So it's polytheistic. Uh, kind of secular. Um, and our society, if I'm being honest, I think is very similar to this society. And let me just show you how we got there real quick. In 1946, uh, the modern era was birthed. The modern era basically said, uh, we no longer want God to be at the center of our life. This whole Christianity thing, we don't want it at the center. It could still be a part of our life, but we don't want God to be at the center. We're going to be God at the outside. And the modern era decided to put ourselves at the middle. It became the me generation. It's about me being free, me getting whatever I need to fulfill my life, whatever I think is good, whatever I think is true. That's the most important thing. In 1966, there was a famous article written in the New York Times says, God is dead. And so we had this modern era that basically chose the secular world to satisfy their soul. And out of this modern era and secular movement was birthed things like the hippie movement. But then after this, they realized nothing satisfied their soul. So after the hippie movement came the Jesus movement. Can I get an amen for the Jesus movement? Woo, people are getting saved left and right. I believe there's going to be a Jesus movement 2.0 after this movement of whatever it is. Okay? I believe that. So now we're in a modern era, post-secular society. So now we're in kind of, people are spiritual again now. It's very positive. Yeah, I'm spiritual. I'm into the spiritual stuff. I'll try this. I'll try that. But if you say there's one God, woo, 
better run for the hills. And the reality is, in the book of Kings, when Elijah or Elisha would say there was one God, they would run for the hills. Because it was a polytheistic society worshiping a lot of gods, saying this is how we satisfy. But in the midst of those societies, there's three things that mark the, 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 um, the, this time period in the book of Kings that I would say marks our area right now. Can I give you the three? One is drought. You read first and second Kings, you see drought all over the place. Drought, 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 drought. In the Bay Area right now, there is literally a drought. Can we agree with that? Physically a drought. I, I, I grew up in the state of Washington. I did not care when it rained. Didn't care, because it rained all the time. You want to know why? Because Washington was rich in rain. I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. And then I moved down here, and now when it rains, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Lord, you've heard our prayers, and you're healing our land. You know, it's like one of those moments when it rains. When I was uh, a young man, I didn't think much of God's presence. I didn't think much of like, oh, I, want, I, I used to show up late to church because uh, I don't like worship. It's my least favorite part. And then I went through a couple things. Uh, one of my close friends that was in our friend circle got on a motorcycle with her uncle and was killed and died. Uh, my wife and I were talking uh, this morning even about uh, the message. And um, when she was a young uh, gal going to UCLA, uh, Christianity was kind of a thought to her. It was, it was a thing she did. Uh, but her second dad, basically, an uncle who was a second father to her, they'd go on trips, literally just super close family member that she would call a second dad, uh, was taken uh, in a very gross way in cancer where you just saw him basically waste away in front of her eyes. And at that age in her life, um, you have to make a decision. Is this Christianity thing going to be a side dish in my life? Because right now I have a drought in my soul from what just happened. I have questions that need to be answered. I have these things that are going on. And God, I need you to fix this drought because death looks like it's final. Death looks like it's the worst thing ever. And I need you to let me know if it is. And the reality is, is a lot of us in this region, we have drought not only physically, but relationally in our marriage, in our minds, in our emotions. Because when you do not live completely for God, when God is on the outside instead of in the center, drought is bound to happen. Another thing that happens in a culture like this is a deficit. You're always working from a deficit. You'll see throughout Kings there's a deficit. We'll talk about that in a second. And then the other one, there's defeat. There's just defeat everywhere in the book of Kings. It's like being an Oakland A's fan. It's just like pencil in another year of no victory championship. I'm a Mariners fan, okay? Same thing. I think we all should just become Giant fans. Experience a victory once in a while. <laughs> it's amazing, though, if you read the book of Kings, it says that each king did evil in the Lord's sight, evil in the Lord's sight, evil in the Lord's sight, and you think one of them would turn and say, we've tasted so much defeat, so much drought, we're in so much deficit, you think they would actually go to where the real riches are, and never, none of them do. So what I want to do is I want to share a story about uh, a man with a bankrupt soul, and I'm hoping I have time because I think there's a handful of things that I need to address in this message. One is I need to address uh, how God wants to give you a rich life an abundant life. I think, I think you really need to know what John 10, 10 means. Uh, you can go to 1 Kings and 2 Kings and see the gospel message. G Jesus is the better Elisha. Jesus is the better Elijah. He's the one that comes to uh, get, get to you and your bankruptcy and actually have it be in abundance again, get you out of the red, get you into the black. Um, and so we're going to do that story. But then also I think what we need to do is I need to show you some practical ways on how he does it. I think you just see it obvious. Like it says in Proverbs 29, 18, uh, I want to read your verse real quick. Uh, I think it's a powerful one. Uh, it says this, um, 
I think I got somewhere. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. So I feel like you got to see some practical ways that God's doing it. Okay, that's Proverbs 29, 18. Um, so I'm hoping I can get to all of it. If not, we may have a two-parter um, or we may have a 50-minute. We'll see what happens. Okay, here we go. Uh, whichever one it is. So uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 5, 2 Kings 5. We're going to look at the rich man with the bankrupt soul. Maybe you have some things in common with them. Maybe you don't. You probably do. Okay. Um, now let me set this up before we go to 2 Kings 5, 9. There's a lot of scripture, so I want to give you a little um, back, uh, um, uh, a little, little bit of context, if you will. So Naaman is a heavy hitter in the region. Naaman is rich, rich. Naaman hangs out with the big dogs. The king will write him a letter to get him something done. Naaman is a famous great warrior. Naaman would be like Steve Jobs, Robert Downey Jr., and the UFC fighter Conor McGregor wrapped in one. Okay? That's Naaman. He's got it all. He is Mr. Richie Rich. But there's a problem now. He just got this thing called leprosy. And you know, anything about leprosy, leprosy at this moment was a death sentence. They thought it was super contagious, so you'd have to isolate. It was basically, you're done, you're final. Leprosy, what it does is it attacks the nerves. It will get on your skin and it will start to attack the nerves and left untreated, it can create blindness and paralysis, make you paralyzed. And so you get a diagnosis of leprosy, it's over. And so he sends this certified letter from the king to another king. Just to give a little flex, hey, it's me. Uh, yeah, the king, he's my homeboy. Super rich, here's 750 pounds of silver, here's some gold. Send me this prophet, supposedly, that can heal people. He's asking for Elijah. I need my leprosy taken care of. He's basically using Uber before it's Uber. DoorDash before, this is the spiritual DoorDash. He's on DoorDash, yeah, uh, cure for leprosy, boom. Okay, 55 minutes, okay, I'll be waiting. He's that rich, he wants that type of convenience. Doesn't even show up on his own to ask. Sends a servant. And so here's what happens in the story. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with a message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Stop. I think it's fascinating uh, right there. We could preach out of this text right there. So give you a little more context. So he gets a green light. Yes, his name's Elisha. So he goes to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even go out to say hi to him. This is a, this would be like, again, if, let's just be honest, knock, knock, who's at the door? Robert Downey Jr. Would you go like, oh yeah, you can just tell him I'm busy watching the game right now. If, if, if somebody that famous is at the door, you would run to the door, oh my gosh, I'm such a big fan of Iron Man. I love it. I love it. I was watching, I actually, Rachel and I actually watched Avengers 1 last night again, okay? We love the Marvel movies. That's why I'm in the Robert Downey Jr. phase right now. Um, you would run to the door. The reality is, is Elisha is not impressed with the things of this world, so he doesn't sprint to the same things worldly people do. So he stays inside, sends his servant out, and Naaman is hot. He's angry. And this is all actually what God is trying to do. Can I tell you something real quick? God is going to have to destroy the shack on the foundation of your heart before he can build a palace where he wants to build it. Okay? A lot of you got a shack going on right now, and God needs to destroy it, and he'll destroy it with things like this. I expected you to do it this way, God. Yeah, because you thought I was your butler. And the reality is, is that Naaman has this expectation. Can I just uh, show you the quick picture? I'm going to give you a big thought real quick. I hope it's okay. Uh, Even in the New Testament, there's a man who's lowered down from a roof of a a ceiling. One of the most famous stories. He's a paraplegic, and God looks at him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. A very profound moment. He's not even walking yet. 
And if you look at God's ministry, you look at Jesus' ministry, of course he wanted to heal the physical outward brokenness. But he knew that that man laying there paralyzed had the paralysis of the soul. And I better release your soul before I release your body. Because you can walk out of here, but your soul will still be here. It'll be in paralysis, and you'll never enjoy life. You'll never enjoy marriage because your soul, I'm going to may your soul walk before your whole body walks. And what Elijah is doing, because Jesus is better Elijah, the same thing Jesus would do. Here's the deal, Naaman. You got leprosy on the outside, but you got leprosy on the inside. Your soul is bankrupt. What does leprosy do to your soul? What does pride do to your soul? It has made him numb to the things of God, numb to the brokenness of this world. Because when you have leprosy of the soul, it will attack the nerves of the kingdom. And so before he can be healed of outward leprosy, God wants to heal his bankruptcy and his leprosy. And so he doesn't even have the way that Naaman expects it to be birthed because of who he is, birthed it that way. I think a lot of us can just sit right there and think about that. God's not going to do it your way. Can you just throw that out real quick? I've had to throw that out a long time ago. If God was going to do it my way already, we would be in the biggest building in Walnut Creek. Thousands would be coming. People would be saved. We'd already have our food bank where we're feeding people. We'd have a dream center in Concord. We'd have all these other things. We'd have mission trips to be going out. We'd already have 100 churches planted. He's going to do it his way, and it's going to be way better because his way is going to get all the glory. It's still going to happen, by the way. Still going to happen. Just not, my, just not my way. I get it. All right. Let's keep going. So he uh, tells Naaman. He uh, doesn't even go out there and meet him. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. He, he expected this. Ah, healed. Isn't it funny how much we just want that kind of... We, we get way too religious sometimes. And so he's got, he wants a religious moment. And then... It's funny, he even counteracts himself as service to. He also wants a, a religious moment. I think I said the right word. I think it's a word. Let's see what happens. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and the Farper better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a, in a rage. His, uh, uh, his people around him said, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So shouldn't you obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured? There's four reasons why he rejected the gospel message at this moment. First one, it was too simple. It's too simple. A lot of people are like, hey, you want to be saved? All you got to do is, Jesus is great. He loves you. Down the cross. You can say yes to him. You're saved. That just seems too simple. If they were told name name it, I need you to go to Mount Diablo and go get a feather from the biggest eagle on top of that mountain and bring it back and you will be healed. Maybe would be like, oh, I'm a great warrior. I'm done. I'll do it. I'll earn my salvation. It's interesting what will grab us and intrigue us. You know why cults are big? You want to know why other religions are big? Because that's what they say. you got to work your way to really to heaven. you got to do these things to get to heaven. Ours is the opposite. Jesus did everything. Here's heaven. So it's too simple for him is the first one why he rejects it. And when you got a bankrupt soul, that's one of the reasons why you can reject. Second one is this. It's too humbling. You want me to do what in front of my servants? You want me to go to a river that I would never even go to, by the way, because these rivers are better. You want, me to go to a, you want me to go to Motel 6 and get prayed for? I'm not going. This, this, is, this is too humbling for me. You want me to go to church. You want me to raise my hand and say, I need Jesus. You want me to come to church in the middle of worship, raise my hands, and say, God, I need you. 
That's way too humbling for me to do. When you got a bankrupt soul, it's hard for you to actually do the spiritual things with God. And so it's too humbling for him. Another one, it's too narrow. It's too narrow. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be this way? I want all these other ways. Why does it have to be only one way? The reality is a lot of us want to create our own God. I've said it before, but I'll say it today. If you have a God that always agree with you, you might be your own God. <laughs> if you read the Bible, like, I'm going to toss that one out. You might not be reading the Bible. You might be reading a self-help book that you've created yourself. But you start reading the Word of God, it's going to do things. Why do I have to do it this way? I don't want to do it this way. I want to date this way. I want my finances done this way. I want my calendar to look this way. Why does it have to look this way? Only this way. Because if you actually want the richness of the kingdom, you can't go to all the other rivers of the world. There's one river. There's one place where you'll find richness and it's kingdom. Another one is just... It's too easy. Naaman's only done difficult things. He's basically saying any idiot can dip in the river. At least he let me swim the river. You mean I'm, if, if I do this, then my servants could do the same thing and we'll be on the same playing field. It's amazing what Christianity does. It takes the poor. It takes the rich. It takes the best. It takes the worst. And it gets them all in the same playing field. It makes somebody who rose the corporate ladder. And they got to come right back down and say, I need God just as much as you do. To a murderer and to somebody else in prison, I need God just as much as you. It's amazing what the kingdom will do to you. So Naaman is struggling with it. His bankrupt soul is struggling with it. They try to reason with him. So they try to give him a simple thing. Just go wash and be cured, man. Just come to church and hear the message. Just come to, just, just come to one, one service. Just see what happens. Just go wash and be cured. Just see what happens. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times. As the man of God instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of the young child, and he was healed. I love that picture. He dipped seven times, and we could go there for a while. I could, I could, I could preach on that for a long time. You know, I, I'll, I'll even give you just one little thing. I think I preached this uh, about, I don't know, four months ago in a very quick ending conclusion. But some of you, you've forgiven one time. Try forgiving seven times. Some of you have pressed in one or two times, but really press in a few more times. Just see what happens to your soul. Yeah. I, mean, I could preach on that for a while, but that's not today's message. But I love the outcome of this. It says, about, look at his skin. His skin is a young child, and it was healed. It was healthy as his skin as a young child. It's, what does the gospel say? That we become whiter than snow. That our soul would, all the scars and the wounds and the things that have happened to you in this world, that God could come in and actually make that thing brand new again. The things that have hurt you that you don't love the same way, that God could actually come in. And if you allowed him actually to dip you seven times, you could actually love people uh, well again. You could receive, you could be vulnerable again. You could be passionate again. You could look at the world in a different lens again. But the only way that happens is if you actually allow God to dip you in the river and living water of Jesus. Amen. 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 Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. But Elijah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, uh, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elijah refused. 
Then David said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with each of this place, and I'll take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any other God except the Lord. He said, this soil is holy soil. I need some holy soil in my area. I'm taking back some Jesus with me, okay? And he, so that's what he wants to do. However, may the Lord pardon me this one thing. When my master, the king, goes to the temple of God, Ramon, to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow. There's four things that you'll see when somebody goes from a bankrupt soul to a rich soul. Naaman just shows us right here in this picture. It's a beautiful picture. First thing is his mind is changed. I, 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 want you to, I want to read it to you real quick. He came back and he literally looked at him and he said, Woo, surely your God is the God. It's just something that happens when somebody really gets saved that they come to this conclusion, not surely is God a good side dish, not surely is God on the outside. They take that, that modern era idea that God's supposed to be on the outside and they put him back in the center and say, surely your God is God. I've tried the world. I've tried career. I, your God is the one that makes me from rags to riches. He's the one. So your, your mind is changed. Your mind is transformed. It's not, a, it's not a moral thing. It's literally your mind has now become the mind of Christ. You're starting to see things different in the world. You, you've woken up, if you will. Second, uh, second thing happens when you uh, go from a bankrupt soul is it becomes radically generous. Name was all about himself. I'm not just talking to finances. I, I'm talking about your time and why you're alive. Yeah, Let's be honest. We're always thinking about ourselves. Thinking about what I can get out of it. Thinking about who I can benefit from. Thinking about, is this good for me or not good for me? Me, 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 me. And so you go to a small group. I don't know if this is good for me. I don't know if this calendar works with me. I'm not sure if I like this for me. And there's a little bit of me. And if you're going with the me thing, the reality is that you'll never actually receive because the way that you get rich in the kingdom is you start pouring out your life. And so he becomes radically generous. Until you become radically generous with the way your mind operates, you will never, ever get out of bankruptcy. You're going to get saved. Boom. That's going to be amazing. But to have the kingdom of God actually deposit in your soul, you've got to open up the latch and start letting the world seep out and letting the kingdom seep in. So it becomes radically generous. Third thing, he becomes a servant. I could have preached on this one for about 20 minutes, but it's amazing. He talks about, I'm going to go back and I want to be a good servant to the king. He's like, the way he's processing, okay, I wanna, okay I'm going to go back. I'm going to take, take this dirt with me, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, um, this new mission with me because I'm going to worship only this God in a pagan. Can you imagine being, knowing Naaman and coming back to his house and who do you worship? The God of Israel. This is the soul. This is the only one I worship now. But as I'm there, Lord, can I still serve the people who don't know you? And can I serve them well? There's something to be said about that. Can, I'm going to say it real quick. The Bible when you read Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and Philippians, all, all those epistles, they are verses dealing with the church. And I see Christians all the time using those verses to deal with the world. And they're like, I need to deal with the world. The world, I, I, can I, I'm going to use some scripture and I'm going to go deal with the world with scripture. Uh, time out. You haven't even let it deal with you yet. You haven't even let it shape you. It's amazing. Uh, I shared this uh, at Team Prayer. I, I, uh, pastor uh, I was with a few weeks ago uh, married a, uh, a gal who was a um, newer believer. She was in the model industry um, and um, uh, entertainment industry, and they get saved, and she starts posting things on uh, Instagram. And they're married. And he's somewhat famous. And so people... Uh, follow him so they start seeing who she is and start following her 
And she'll post a picture, and she's like wearing a tank top with her husband. And then, you know, they were in Hawaii, and she's posting pictures. And the venom that is being shot at her, how dare you put this on Instagram? What are you doing? Do you realize how big of a sin this is? And she goes on to share, and this just pierced me. He told me that she said when she was in the model industry, which is dog-eat-dog world, she said there are more mean people in the church than I've ever met anywhere else in the world. They were ready to shoot me when I messed up. They were ready to throw scripture at me real quick. And the reality is that when you really get saved, you're going to care about people. And you're going to let scripture shape you and shape your soul. It's going it's to attack the religiousness in you, the arrogance in you, the pride in you. It's going to make your soul so rich that when you see people, all they do is taste richness. And trust me, when they taste richness, it's not going to give them another license to go sin. It's going to give them this motivation to actually be like, what do you have that I don't? I'm debating on how I have five more 20-minute messages. Um, <laughs> debating on how I want to finish this. Um, I'm debating. I got, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do one more. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the ways, I'm going to condense two points, and then I'll conclude. So I'll do it today. I had uh, rich in calling, uh, rich in career, poor in calling. I was on top of that. Might still touch on that. Rich in calling, but poor in confidence. And then I had rich in the practical, but poor in the spiritual. Those are going to be my three points. And then I have a very cool conclusion, I believe, um, that God gave me. Uh, so I'm going to give you a condensed one real quick. Once you start to have a rich soul, you deal with things differently. So I'm going to show you some symptoms that when your soul goes from bankruptcy to abundance. And if you're not there yet, this is okay. This is, this, none of us are there. I'm not okay. You're not okay. He loves us anyway. Can we agree with that? A lot of us right now are at the very beginning of the journey. They actually say most Christians, after they get saved, just stay there. 80%. It's a really sad number. They never walk in. The, and what that means is they understand that they are saved by God and God is their Savior, but they never step into the next realm where God is Lord of their life. That's, that, that's, that's high-level Christianity. God, if you say it, I do it. God, you are the center of my life. I'm all about you. Everything, I am a God-centered Christian. The modern era, I'm a me-centered person with Christian on the outside. A person who's really saved, that really starts to press in, says, I am a God-centered Christian. Our whole life orbits around the things of God. They say about 20% of believers get there. Because you just stay here because this next step is so scary. It's so scary. And one of the reasons, I'll show you, show you some symptoms that you'll, you'll start to go, okay, I want to get to this. I want to start having my family orbit around the things of God. How do I get there? I'll show you how we get there. Ready? Here's one of the first ones. Ready? So you're rich in the practical, but you're poor in the spiritual. You got to get rich in the spiritual. Um, I, I got 10 minutes. Okay. So, um, so uh, Moab rises up against Israel, uh, Judah, and Edom. So they rise up against one of them. All three of them get together. They're like, all right, we're, we're, we got one um, kingdom that wants to come take us out. So they do the practical thing. Let's all three get together, Israel, Judah, and Edom, and let's get together and let's go destroy Moab who rose up against us. Well, on the, on the way there, they experienced drought. Later, the drought, they're going to, the horses are going to uh, um, die because they aren't drinking water. They have no idea what to do. And I love this, uh, this question uh, that Jehoshaphat asked in this moment. So, so they're dipped. Drought has come. They have all the practicals in the world, everything you need practically to succeed, but they're failing because they've experienced drought. And th- wouldn't that just drive you nuts? I got practically everything. I got the house, I got the car, I got everything. Why do I, why do I still have drought? I'll show you why I still have drought. So Joseph goes, is there no prophet of the Lord here that may inquire of the Lord by him? 
So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, uh, the king of Edom, went down to him. Oh, can I tell you something real quick? When the world fails, they will look for ones who know God. Keep knowing God. When the world starts to go this way, eventually they're going to say, does anybody know this God? I've heard about this Jesus. That, that's just what happens. I'll never forget. I'm a young believer. 9-11 happened. One of the most devastating things I've experienced as a, uh, a person on this earth. And the next Sunday, there was standing room only in the church. People are so confused. I need help. What is going on? People are so scared. It's the most packed I ever saw a service. They're standing up the aisles. I mean, everything. There's no room in the house. It's amazing what will happen when you experience a drought. Uh, I love this verse in Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them, though, as men who had been with Jesus. Hey, you want to get recognized? It's not about how special your training is. Be with Jesus. And you start being with Jesus a lot and a lot. What happens is, is when things hit the fan, people are going to try to find you. And so they find Elisha, and they're about, like, literally, like, okay, we're all about to die. We're about to lose. So here's what Elijah does. Bring me a musician. I'm like, what? Yeah, bring me a worship team, everybody. He says, then it happened when the music played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Stop. So can you imagine this? You bring the man of God, and they're like, hey, we're going to lose. We're going to die. Fix it. We're Judah. We're Israel. Fix it for us. We push the button. Fix it for us. And I goes, all right. Bring me the worship team. What, what is this? We just told you we're at war and we're about to be defeated. We have no water. What are you doing? And the reality is that some of you, I was going to tell my message, get rid of the if. Get rid of the ifs in your life. Because if you read enough scripture, you'll see this. If you would have prayed more, you would have had victory. There's a story when he talks about knocking the arrows. If you would have knocked the arrows more, you would have had complete victory. It says in the Bible, very famous, if my people would humble themselves and pray, I would hear their prayers and I would kill their land. If, if you would have been obedient, you would have lost this. There's all many ifs. So I was going to call it get rid of the if, but I didn't. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll just plant that little seed real quick. So there's this moment. And what he's doing is simply this. He's saying, if you want practical victory, you need to first have spiritual victory. Um, anybody watch the show Survivor? Yeah, it's still around. Who still watches it? That's yeah, a good amount. My buddy Tom watches it even. Like, like, it's like on season, what, 75, 80, 100? Like, I was like in junior high when it came out. The 20, like, but man, the show, it's great. So I remember when I first started watching, I wanted to go on it. But then the older I got, the wiser I was, I'd never make it on Survivor. I'd be the first one voted off. You want to know why? I can't make a fire. I can't do nothing, okay? I'd be like, I got my phone. Uh, Uber Eats says uh, Habit will be here in about seven hours and 86 minutes on a flight. Like, I would be voted off in two seconds. The more and more you watch survival shows, no matter what you watch, Survivor, Alone, Naked and Afraid. <laughs> well, you, no, I've never seen it. I just saw the trailer. Um, looks weird. Um, no matter which one you watch, the first thing you need to survive in the wild is you got to make some fire. You got to learn how to make fire. If you don't know how to make fire, you're dipped. You might as well die. Get voted off. Go home. And what Elisha is showing him goes, if you want to have any kind of way of survive in this world, you need to learn how to make some fire, some spirit. You need to light this soul up. You need, you need to get next to the one that warms you up. Uh, before we do anything, we need to get close to the one that warms our soul. Uh, you want to survive in this world, and you think the more army and the more money you have, you'll survive? No, no, you need to learn how to cultivate the presence of God. You learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Watch the things you overcome. 
Watch the victories you start to walk through you never thought you could walk through. And so Elijah starts singing, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. I was spun up this week. Preparing my message, I was so frustrated. I had two things that were just spinning me up, spinning me up, spinning me up. Well, the ones that were like you're talking yourself in the car. You know, I was just mad. You know, like, so, Rachel, was I frustrated all week? I puked way too much on my wife this day. I walk home. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about it. I mean, and then even at the end of this week, this is literally what I told Rachel on Saturday. I'm going to do a challenge myself not to complain for a whole month. I was just so mad about so many things. And I'm preparing a message about this. It took me six days. Saturday, I get done working out. I'm in the shower, and I'm like, I have not once tried to do what I'm about to preach, God. So I get in the shower. Sorry for the visual. I didn't. So I went outside on a walk in a sweatshirt, sweatpants, big old robe, all kinds of stuff. Anyways, I was so spun up. And this thing was so spun up. And I literally was like, Lord, forgive me that I'm about to preach and not live it. And I literally started singing. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. I just was singing. And I literally started bowing down. And I was like, Lord, transform whatever. I, just, I don't want this. God. And I started worshiping. I, I walk out, and it just started changing my soul. And what Elijah's doing is teaching them, you're rich in the practical, but you're poor in the spiritual. And for you to be rich in this world, you got to be rich in the spiritual. And rich in the spiritual, I wish I had more time to preach all the, there's so many moments in, a, in this story of Kings where even the king, Joash, comes and he's like, he's about to lose. And he goes, I need you to knock the arrows. A very spiritual act. And he doesn't knock the arrows. He knocks them three times. One, two, three, and he's done. But if you actually would have prayed with passion, he said you would have had complete victory in your life. At the end of your days, do not look back and say, what if I would have prayed more? What if I would have worshiped more? How about this? What if I would have worshiped at all this week? What if I would have prayed at all? What if I would have prayed just a little bit this morning? What would my day look like? So many of you are so rich in the practical. You're so good at the practical. Please give God a chance and get rich in the spiritual. What happens in this story, and I'll just finish with this, is Elijah worships, gives them a game plan, tells them to dig ditches because all inspiration must go to participation. All the things that happen in the prayer room, all the things that happen in your heart, they got to lead to action or it doesn't happen. He goes, all right, here's what we're going to do. Dig ditches. God's going to have water come. It sounds ridiculous because the things of the kingdom are going to sound ridiculous and have you do ridiculous things. They dig ditches. The water gets filled up. They have victory. It's an amazing thing. And if I could just give it this week, two spiritual things your pastor would say to you. One is, Start getting rich in the spiritual. Just pray more, worship more, read your Bible more. That's it. And then as you do that, start actually being willing to do silly things like dig ditches for God. Okay, do something he tells you to do. God, you told me to go to Starbucks and wait for somebody that you are going to illuminate to me just to go share God with. God, you told me to do this today. God, I just feel like I read my Bible today and you just told me to be kind or be generous to somebody today. Just, just dig some ditches and see what happens with your life. Yeah. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. All right. Um, I got two minutes. All right. I'm going to finish with a conclusion. I'm going to invite uh, uh, Lacey up. Um, oh, Jim. You don't, you don't look like Lacey. Jim, don't tell you. Hey, his family made me cookies last week, by the way. I need to talk to you. I ate too many of them, and I'm on a diet right now. 
Thank you. They were delicious. <laughs> They're so good. Uh, chocolate, it was cookie day, so I got chocolate chip cookies. Anyways, um, yeah, gosh. We might be, this might be a two-part. I'll put it away. There's just too much. There's, um, what I want to conclude with, and I, I, might, I know I did actually share this story, I think, about year one of our church. Um, but I just want to conclude with this, because a lot of you, you found God, and you found salvation, and you have a lot of richness in your life. You do. We've got some rich Christians in the house, and I'm not talking financially rich. Maybe that too, but you're, you're rich in your life. And I didn't grow up in church, and the reason why I wanted the richness of the kingdom, and I didn't know I had a bankrupt soul or a bankrupt life, I was blind to those things, but then I got exposed to richness. And forgive me if you're here, you're, uh, you're one. It's, it's just a simple story, but I think it's uh, uh, the most profound one I could share to conclude with this thought today. Um, so I grew up poor, grew up on food stamps, and uh, go to my friend's house. And, you know, it's when you, like, get old enough to go at your friend's house, do sleepovers. You know, my friend's got the trampoline. He's got the pool table. Um, and this is what you would call rich friend. Uh, he was, uh, his family was rich. Uh, he had all kinds of things. Um, and if you don't know what rich friend is, my buddy Drew says this is because you were rich friend. Um, like, what's rich friend? That means you were rich friend. They're like, I don't know there's rich friends. You're the rich one then. Um, if you had a trampoline, you're a rich friend. If you had a pool table, you're a rich friend. If you had a pool, you were a super rich friend, okay? Um, and, uh, and so I go over to one of my rich friend's houses, and um, as I'm over at his house, we're having a fun time, and we get hungry. And so we go in his house, and he opens up a door, and we walk inside the door. And I walk inside this door, and there's Rice Krispie Treats, and there's candy, and there's cereals, the name brand cereals. I mean, you name it, everything you can dream. Fruit roll-ups, fruit by the foot, Gushers, my personal favorite at this time as a kid. And he goes, uh, you hungry? I say, yeah. He goes, well, grab something. I'm like, anything? He's like, yeah. I was like, what, what is this? He goes, it's a pantry. Like, this is a pantry? Ah, I've never seen a pantry. Our house, we had cupboards. I didn't know pantries existed. So I took some gushers. He looked the other way, took another pack of gushers. He looked the other way, put some fruit by the foot in my pockets. I was poor. This is what we do, okay? And so I remember walking out, coming home. It's the first time I ever, I didn't, I didn't know we were poor. Coming home, I asked my mom. I said, Mom, I was over at my buddy's house. They got a lot more stuff than us. Are we poor? And my mom kind of like, you know one of those where you're not supposed to laugh moments? She's like, yeah, we're poor. We're on food stamps, Tyler. There's government cheese down in the kitchen right now. We're really poor. And I remember being really bothered by it. I remember opening up the cupboard when I got home, and there was Top Ramen in there with no seasoning packets because we used to double the seasoning packets up. So you'd grab a Top Ramen, but there'd just be noodles. And I'd be like, Lindsay! She's like, I wanted more seasoning, sorry. Just throw the bag away then. Nobody wants noodles by themselves. <laughs> I went up in my room, and I remember being mad at God and being mad that I was in a poor family, mad that I didn't have my buddy's family uh, with a sport court, uh, and I wanted what he had. And then I got older, and I realized that what he had, uh, his family, actually, his parents got divorced, um, that, that did not satisfy. And then I found the Lord, and I realized that you and I, when we get saved, we become the rich kids in the Bay Area. 
And when we become the rich kids in the Bay Area and people hang out with us, we don't throw scripture in their face. We open up the pantry of heaven and we show them love and joy and peace and patience. We show them generosity. And they, they look around and they had never seen the pantry of heaven before. I say, what, what is this? What are you doing? It's the kingdom of heaven. And they might not say yes that day, but they're going to grab a little bit of that joy, a little bit of that peace, a little bit of that love. They're going to walk out and they might go home and they might be a little upset and say, why don't I have that? And the reality is, is that it can be theirs. And your job and my job is to let them all know that they can all have a pantry. And not only a pantry, but God wants to destroy the shack to build the palace so they can have all the things that fills their hearts so they can go from a bankrupt soul to a soul that is rich and satisfying and abundant. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church. I don't know if you thought you were just coming to service today, but something just pierced your soul. You have some bankrupt areas of your soul, some droughts, some cracks, and the only one that can fill it is Jesus. So if you never said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, you never said yes to salvation, Oh, best decision you could ever make. On the count of three, if you want to say yes to Jesus, the Bible says to confess your mouth, believe your heart, you'll be saved. The way we do that is respond. Just raise our hand, and we're going to pray for you. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, on the count of three, would you raise your hand? We just want to pray for you. One, two, three. Raise it up, raise it up. I want to say yes to Jesus. I see you. God bless you. Come on now. I see you in the back. God bless you. Come on. It's a great decision. It's a great decision. We stand up. We're going to pray. Send you on your way. Go change the world. You ready to go change the world, Mission Church? Come on, repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life. Today, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So today, I declare, Jesus, you are my Lord. I say goodbye to my past and hello to my promises. I say goodbye to cursing and hello to blessing. Jesus, use me for all your glory. And everybody said? Go be blessed, Mission Church. Go change the world. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.